When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Welcome to yet another exciting, fun-filled episode of Fratello and Phelps. It's basketball gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps, my partner, former NBA head coach, NBA color analyst, Mike Fratello. Mike, I we got to pick it up here. In our last episode, you had just done your organic organic laundry somewhere in Los Angeles. You were making your way back home to Cleveland. I, I take it the laundry came out okay. The trip to Cleveland was okay. That went. That was that was good. That was a sixteen day road trip with. Six games and two studio shows involved with that long road trip. A lot of clothes, a lot of dirty underwear and socks. And yeah, don't don't get too personal. That the organic cleaner got them all back straightened out again and folded up and dried. And and then it was a matter of getting home and unpacking all that stuff. Did a Cavs game that next night when I got home immediately against Portland. Yes, against Portland. And then uh, after celebrating Thanksgiving in Cleveland, I am sitting in Portland, Oregon right now. <laughs> against and Portland. There you go. Well, at least you saw with them, the, right? With the Clippers. With yeah. The Clippers. Uh, you get around, sir. That's outstanding. Uh, so a, a beautiful hotel room in, in Portland, Oregon. The Cavaliers just finished up a three-game road trip. And – you saw them take care of Portland. Then they went to Milwaukee, Detroit, Toronto last night. And I I don't know that you can say it didn't go well. You, you go to Milwaukee, you play Milwaukee, you lose. You kind of, that, that's a tough place to play. It's a tough team to play. You lost by 15. You went to Detroit, you won by eight. And then you go to Toronto, another, another tough place to play, Mike. And, and you lost by 12. In, in that game last night, it appeared that the Cavaliers worthy team playing the third game in four days, the second night of a back-to-back at the end of a road trip. They didn't seem to have their legs about them. Trip overall, do it, do anything to ruffle your confidence in them or did it make you feel okay about them? In all fairness, you know, we're at the quarter pole right now of the NBA season and You'd like to see them every night go out and be competitive, regardless of who's putting a uniform on and who's not putting uniform on. In the game against Toronto, uh, no Allen, 
no Kevin Love, uh, obviously two, your major factors there. Um, Lamar Stevens, who has been getting some starting minutes. Right. So, you know, Stevens uh, being out and obviously still waiting for Ricky Rubio to come back and, and Windler also out. So uh, my point is, I'm not sure if you can judge it fairly. Uh, if you're looking down the road and you say, well, if, if this was the playoffs now and you're going to Milwaukee with a full squad to play Milwaukee, what would you like to see there versus what happened, you know, and uh, right now, a lot of teams with a lot of injuries, but uh, I think going then to Detroit, falling behind to the Pistons, and then playing as well as they did in the fourth quarter to get that win, that's the most important thing, that you get wins that you should get, that you have to get, because you know you play people like Milwaukee uh, at home that are very, very good. And the same thing with the third game in Toronto. Uh, Toronto is a very good team, and particularly in their own building. And you're playing your third game in four nights. You're shorthanded. But you want to see the the effort from the people that are there. You know, one of the leading scorers in the NBA has just a horrendous night shooting the basketball. And I'll talk about Donovan Mitchell. Just yep. one of the few times we've seen him just have one of those nights. And you know, missing the points of love, missing the points and rebounds of Allen, missing Stevens, what he can do at the defensive end, and then getting that out of Mitchell, that's going to make it tough to win in Toronto. The Cavs season, Mike, has been kind of, I, I think there have been three parts of it. You had the eight-game winning streak. You had a five-game losing streak completely following up that eight-game winning streak. Then you won four straight. Then you do this little road trip. So the, I'm I'm waiting to see where this goes, but you've lost two out of three here. Has the ha, has the all win, all loss, all win thing is is that okay for an NBA team? Would you rather see them mix it up a little bit? I, I'm not sure what to make of the streakiness, and I, I don't even know if there's anything to make of the streakiness other than the eight game winning streak was phenomenal, and then the losing streak. All right, you're going to lose some, but you lost five straight. Is are you surprised that no back and forth there or, 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 or what am I, am I looking at something that's not there? I hear what you're saying. And I would be curious if we uh, had the time and, and the manpower to do the research on it this year. Um, you know, the schedule's falling much different now for many of the teams than in the past. You know, when have you in the past ever gone into Philadelphia and played them on a Tuesday night and then play right. them on Thursday night again in Philadelphia. And that seems to be happening more and more to teams where they're getting the same team two nights in a row in that city and you knock that or you check that one off your schedule. I don't know how much of a factor that's playing into these runs that you're talking about, like being able to win six, seven in a row, then all of a sudden you lose you know, four or five in a row, then you win three or four in a row. I don't know how that's happening. You know, it's it's unusual or something different that we haven't seen the NBA for a lot of years. But if it makes sense, I understand if you're going to, it used to make sense years ago when you went to Texas, you know, you played Dallas, you played San Antonio, you played Houston. You, you had to save some money, Mike. He, it it cost money to fly those planes, right? Every so often, you know, you get that <laughs> Texas triangle there. So yeah. 
Um, maybe the league is going back to some of the scheduling of the old days. But anyhow, it's a good question to ask. I, I don't know what to make of it other than it, it's nice to be able to snap out of it whenever you have one of those three or four game losing streaks. Are you good enough? And do you have the resolve enough to be able to snap that and then put some wins back together again? Like most NBA teams, Mike, the Cavs have been a, a really good home team. They have a big stretch of home games coming up. That'll help. One thing that I think has been, uh, and, and I'm not sure what to, to think of this either. Only three guys have played in every game that they've had so far this year. And it's Evan Mobley, Jetty Osman, and Isaac Okoro. You've had guys miss a couple of games. Donovan Mitchell, as you mentioned, Kevin Love's now out. Uh, Jared Allen's missed a couple of games. Um, Darius Garland missed some games with the eye injury. So they've been going you know, back and forth trying to get this team to maybe maybe blend together a little bit. And I, I think it's really impressive that they are where they are considering they've had so many player games missed. And I wonder, do you think that's a huge factor in maybe some of the inconsistency or or is it something that they've really done a great job overcoming because here you're sitting near the top of the Eastern Conference and yet you really haven't had your full complement of guys but for three games? I'd like to think it's more of what you said at the back part of that statement because I think back and I really paid very little attention when I was coaching uh, to saying well, this group has to get used to one another. We always, during the course of practices, and that's a word that you don't hear very much today, practice. No. But we always, during the course of practice, would kind of mix and match occasionally where they were playing minutes of our practice with a guy or two guys from the second unit playing with the first unit and vice versa because you know it's going to come up during the course of the year where somebody's going to have to step in or even on your, your substitution pattern. You know, when you make your first substitution, is it two guys coming in at first, or is it three guys coming in at first? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you do one, then do another one, then do two? Or, you know, how do you go about your substitution pattern? So you're going to wind up with teams mixed up. It's not going to be that first unit, that second unit always together. So I always just kind of, went with it like if i put you in the game i'm expecting you to fit in you know you know we've practiced enough we've gone over things enough you know when you're on the court you look around you say okay who's who's next to me oh there's fratello next to me do not pass in the ball he cannot make a <laughs> shot okay so wave at him run him through or something but just don't throw him the ball you know who you're out there with you know who your go-to guys are who you want to get the ball to that's all part of practicing together as much as you used to practice together. Now there's a lot of film work together. There's a lot of walkthroughs together and maybe not as much on court practice time. You mentioned the rotations, Mike. I think JB Bickerstaff has been a little tight in his rotations. I I've always loved watching teams where a guy, a, a guy will play nine or 10 guys and go that many deep. You don't see that. I, I don't see it as much in the NBA these days. It seems like guys, Coaches are, are really concentrating on getting their eight eight best guys. Sometimes they stretch it to a nine. You don't see, you know, 11 guys playing a whole lot, Mike. Is is that a good thing for this team right now? And have the injuries caused JB to maybe tighten up the rotation a little bit because he doesn't want to go as deep as maybe he needs to to fill it out because he's had some key guys out? 
Jeff, let me put it to you another way. Is the league, and I'm talking about all the rosters and as many players as are allowed to carry now, is it diluted a little bit? And perhaps back uh, years back when we didn't have maybe, you know, 30 teams like we do now. With 15 uh, guys on a roster plus practice squad guys. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe back then you had more depth as far as quality players so you could play 10 people. Uh, you know, I know in Atlanta that we went with that first unit, second unit thing for three or four years of winning 50 or more games during that stretch, and that's how we played. Uh, but we had 10 guys that we kind of believed in, were confident with. But now when there's so much pressure to win games, and you've got so many young guys yeah. who have very little, if no experience at all. Do you as a coach want to take a chance on losing a couple of games along the way that if you would have used an eight or nine man rotation, as opposed to trying to get guys 10 and 11, some playing time, you know, do you, do you look over your shoulder and go, Hey, you know what? I'm going with eight guys or nine guys. I know can play and aren't going to hurt us when they get out there. And if we get up by 20 with a minute to go in the game, maybe I'll put the other guys in so they get their <laughs> name in the box score. This is Basketball Gold with Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Second year in the NBA for Cavaliers forward Evan Mobley, Mike. And I, I think he's in a very interesting situation with the Cavaliers. And we, we all can see the ability that he has. He has future greatness written all over him. I, I don't think there's any question about that. And he's a terrific young player now, but you have a team that clearly is based in the backcourt with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. What does that do? If anything, for the development of a young guy like Evan Mobley, do you, do you have to try to get him the ball? Does he have to play off those other guys? His numbers, Mike, almost across the board, identical to what they were in his rookie year that doesn't mean he's not improving it just means his numbers are kind of the same what what does that do to have that guard combo there for his development might it not be a game to game thing jeff and what i mean by that is on a night when jared allen is not there you need Evan mobile to step up and get you that many more rebounds perhaps that many more points and he needs to get that many more touches as compared to when Allen is there and Allen's going to get touches and then Mobley's going to get touches and whoever the small forward is that's starting at that time is going to, and Love's coming off the bench, he's going to get touches. So that's one thing. But when Mobley is by himself and here's a night where you don't have a Love, you don't have an Allen, he basically is your scoring big man from the interior. Yeah. So you've got to run stuff for him. You've got to look for him and that's, up to those two guards that are in the backcourt controlling the ball. And he needs to understand that we'll get it to you if you give us some more. You give us more than you've been giving us when you have Jared out there next year, when you have Kevin coming in off the bench. You give it to us and we'll get you the ball. The guards have to be cognizant of the fact that they're going to touch the ball more than anybody else. Okay, And they make decisions on when to give it up or when to control the basketball. You've got to reward this young man for all the hard work he's doing on the glass, for the defense he's playing, for protecting the rim, and then we would expect to see his offensive game grow. Mike, is that the toughest thing that, that J.B. Biggerstaff might be facing this year, maybe that the players are facing as well? 
I mean, you, you've got a terrific guard in Donovan Mitchell. You have a terrific guard in Darius Garland. And it, it's so easy, I would think, to point to that duo and think, okay, this is these are our leaders. But you got to bring this other guy along because, you know, I, I've heard more than a few people say it, this team will become an absolute monster when Evan Mobley becomes, if not your number one option, your number one guy, your, you know, one one a and just a fraction behind or maybe a trio with those three guys how how difficult is that and is it difficult on him i'm trying to think back jeff you got me thinking now what team can we think of from the past that had two guards that could be as dominant as we uh, have here with the cavaliers now and also had a big man that excelled with them or had two big men that excelled on those kinds of teams. Let's let's we'll start with Detroit because we've used them in the past with yeah. Isaiah and Joe Dumars. Think about their front line guys. When it was the two guards and Kelly Trapuca, they got rid of Kelly Trapuca. Then it was the two guards, and they brought in uh, Mark Aguirre from Dallas. Yeah. Right. And Mark Aguirre was a guy that Mark could get 30 touches a game if he was on a team where he dominated the whole thing. And he did in Dallas. Mike had a huge scoring average. And think about it. The reason that they got rid of Chapuca and brought in Aguirre eventually was because Aguirre stopped the clock. He got fouled with his backing down, using that big butt when they would semi post him up. <laughs> turn and face up on the guy, he would get fouled. And by stopping the clock, it allowed Detroit to set their defense up. Mm. I'm trying to remember the backcourt in Portland when it was Clyde Drexler. Was it, was that? Trying to remember the, who the starting guard was with Drexler in Portland those years. You can remember that Duckworth up front was one of them. Kersey was the small forward. The small forward, yeah. Yeah, you know, the group that went to the championship. Um, I can visualize the other starting guard, but my point is those guards dominated the ball a lot for Portland those years. They made it to the NBA Finals, but I don't remember any of those big men being, you know, dominant big men that got 18 to 20 shots a night. So the Mobley question is interesting. Uh if these two guards stay with this team for the next five or six years, and if Mobley stays with them for the next five or six years, will they throw in the ball more than they're doing right now? Will he command that kind of respect from them? Mike, his numbers I mentioned are, are pretty much like they were in his rookie year. Where have you seen improvement with him, despite the numbers being basically the same? One, he has worked consistently on his perimeter game, knowing that, if he can step out with a little more range and make shots there on a regular basis, that is going to open up so many things for a guy like Donovan, like Darius. And when they get in there and when they're covered up by those big guys protecting the front of the rim, they will turn and kick it back out. But if they're going to kick it back out, it sure would be nice if the guy they're kicking it out to, besides the small forward, if one of those big men can make some shots with range on it. So he has worked very, very hard in the offseason, back in training camp, to improve at his perimeter game. 
And then I see him ducking in a little bit better from the weak side away from the basketball, getting in there harder, keeping that guy on his back. And the same with Allen also. They've gotten better at ducking in in that low post area and pinning the guy on the back and in transition, running to the front of the rim, getting the defender on their back or top side, which allows Garland or Mitchell to throw it over the top one of those easy catch and dunk or catch with two hands and finish type things in transition. Uh, so I, I think his awareness of if he does things a little bit harder, runs a little bit faster, takes advantage of small things, he can add buckets to his game that way just on small things, seal back moves when defenders are fronting him in the low post area, not giving the entry pass from the wing. Jared flashes high. They go from wing to Jared on top. And I see Mobley seal back and the pass comes from the top right into him in front of the rim. So he's getting better with his footwork. He's getting, and obviously the strength part of it is so important here because he's having to deal with those physical guys that are trying to beat him up every night. They see this young, slender, athletic, talented young guy. And sometimes they say to themselves, my only chance with him is to be physical, beat him up, Hope he loses his cool. Maybe he'll throw an elbow at me. He'll throw him out of the game. And I'll have to deal with him for the rest of the night. When the Cavs played Milwaukee, Mike, um, Giannis Netacumpo chatted with Chris Vitor, our buddy from Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. And Giannis said this about Evan Mobley. Let me read this to you. He said, he can be better than me, which I thought was a big line. He said, I don't see why he can't. It's up to him. I will always try to improve every day, but he has the skill set to be very, very good. He's seven feet tall. He can move really well. He can shoot. He's very smart. As you said, uh, he watches, and he was talking to Chris there. He watches tape of other players, which is very, very good for a young player. If he takes this seriously, he's going to be great. Now, one of the great things everybody loves to do with NBA is compare a young player to a, a player, you know, who's been years gone by or in the league right now. Giannis isn't the guy who comes to mind for me. I don't know. I've, I've heard people say Kevin Garnett. I've heard people say Tim Duncan. Does anybody pop to mind for you with Evan Mobley? And can he do what Giannis said and, and become that kind of player? Because remember when Giannis came in, he was really raw and took him several years to really become the player that he is. Evan has come in and been better right away than Giannis was when he was a young guy. Well, the reason for, part of the reason for that is because uh, Evan has tried to stay within the framework of what he knows he can do and get away with in the NBA. Uh, he doesn't have the handle that Giannis has. Well, it was very complimentary of Giannis to say that, that he could be as good as or better than Giannis. Yeah, those uh, big words. It, they're different kinds of players. They play differently, meaning their styles. Giannis can go coast to coast with the ball and pull back dribble and dish off at the last second. That's not in Mobley's game right now. And I don't know if that'll ever be part of what we see you know, Mobley doing you know, because Giannis was a hybrid. He was a young guy who was a perimeter guy that had the skills of a guard. You know, people would dare him to shoot, you know, in his first couple of years in the league, uh, but they couldn't keep him away from the basket because of his ability to drive and take those long strides and handle the basketball. And that's where he has such a huge advantage on Mobley. Mobley plays more like a traditional frontline guy that is going to catch the ball either with his back to the basket, posting up, 
or is going to be off the block a foot or two in that mid post area or at the elbow where they can turn and face the basket and make one dribble to make a move from there. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's a fair comparison to, to Giannis in my mind. And I'm trying to think of a guy along the way that reminds me uh, of, of Mobley. He's big. Yeah, he's springy. Yeah, he might throw out. I'm more than more than welcome your thoughts. I, I've heard people. I've heard people say Garnett, and I, I don't know that I buy that because I think Kevin was more physically imposing guy than, than Evan Mobley. Maybe you know Evan fills out as you mentioned. You know, a, a lighter guy right now. Maybe he fills out. Um, I think he's got more athleticism than Tim Duncan probably had, but Tim was so good at everything he did. I, I don't. There's nobody who really jumps to mind who I think, yeah, that's who that's who Evan Mobley is. I, I think he he's the type of guy who, if he continues to develop his outside game, Mike, might kind of, you know, it'll be, boy, maybe he can be the next Evan Mobley, you know, for the next young big guy coming up. Because I, I like his inside moves right now and his ability around the basket. I think he's really explosive in there. And the outside stuff that you mentioned, is that critical, you think, for him long-term? Or is it more critical for him, or is it more critical for the Cavaliers that he had that to his game? I don't I don't ever remember, Jeff, Duncan turning himself into a perimeter guy. Okay, did, did Tim Duncan ever 15 shoot? 15 to 17 feet, something like that? You, you, you didn't see that a whole lot. Remember, mm -hmm. he used the backboard from the left side right. when he stepped out there, you know, 16 feet, 17 feet, but... This wasn't a guy that was running to get to the three-point line. Now, the game has changed a little bit since Tim Duncan was playing. Teams are shooting way more threes, even though San Antonio shot, shot a lot of threes, you know, towards the last few years of his career. But it still didn't change how Tim Duncan played. He was a monster on the glass, okay, offense and defense. He had terrific moves down the low post area. He could pass out of double teams. He ran their offense, it was so integral in setting screens and then rolling and making the next decision from there. Uh, so there were things that Mobley could take from Tim Duncan, but Tim Duncan had the whole package. And if you said, you know, what would you say he didn't do well? He didn't shoot threes well, but he wasn't he wasn't trying to. Yeah, and they didn't, didn't want it. him to. Yeah. This is Basketball Gold with Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. I look at the Eastern Conference standings, Mike, uh, and it's a it's a jumbled up mess right now. And that's one reason if, if I'm a Cavaliers fan, if I'm a Miami Heat fan, Atlanta Hawk fan, 76er fan, and this is this is going to be a really intriguing season because it, as of uh, November 28th, it was Monday night, at the start of the night, there were seven, there were 12 teams within seven and a half games of first place in the Eastern Conference. And the top two teams were Boston and Milwaukee. And then the Cavaliers were sitting third before their game with Toronto. And they were three games out. And then there were 10 teams, including the Cavaliers, within four and a half games of that third place spot. And I don't know. I know it's early and things will, you know, things will kind of work their way out a little bit. You see Philadelphia moving up a little bit. Indiana's up there right now. Will they be able to stay? Who knows? But there's some real competition in the Eastern Conference this year that I, I think that's, and going back to something we said earlier, maybe that's why coaches are, are 
coaching every game like it's a playoff game because there's so much competition. You got to win this game because look at the Eastern Conference. There are a lot of really competitive, really good basketball teams. Well, just just so I could be like you, is it okay if I put my glasses on? Yeah, I can, you know, Mike, it's when I was 42, I was sitting there watching television and I felt something go right here. I can look a mile down the road, see it great, but I can't look and see you if I'm not wearing these glasses. So well, by all means, I you like look good, you you look look good in those. I'm going to put mine on, my little readers here, my cheaters as I call them. You look good in those. Thank you. Appreciate that. Certainly. Um, I have about 100 pairs if you need any. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to go back over the East from the beginning and, and run down some of these teams. And, yeah. and it's, it's going to be insane. We're at the quarter pole right now. And what I mean by that is around 20 games mm-hmm. for all the teams okay, of, of the 82-game schedule. And the, the two most consistent teams, I would say, have been Boston and Milwaukee from day number one. Just, you know, dominant in how they've played. And each of them have had, you know, injuries, particularly Milwaukee, uh, along the way. So yeah, no Chris Middleton yet. Yeah. You know, you can say, you know, they, you know, smart was out X number of games for Boston and, you know, there've been other people out as well. So anyhow, those have been the two most consistent. Then Cleveland started hot. Then they had the, they go with your streaks. Okay. Yep. Start out hot, then go to a five game losing streak, then come back again. So they're up in that upper echelon right now of the Eastern conference, Indiana. I, I think where they are right now is a surprise. I didn't think that they would be up there uh, in, in a situation where they're, you know, sitting right behind uh, Cleveland or very close to them. Atlanta got off to a slow start. Again, there were injuries in Atlanta, so they did not finish. They did not pick up where they finished off at the end of last season. Philadelphia, without question, got off to a disappointing start for them. But now all of a sudden they've worked their way back to the 500 mark. And it seems like, you know, Embiid is – has been shaken up a little bit, perhaps by the broadcasters on TNT saying that he's got to get his act in gear and he doesn't like being criticized uh, publicly by them. First game back, he had a 30-point game, though, on Monday night. So he's back, good to go. Cavaliers face him on on Wednesday. And Tyrese Maxey out for, what, three or four more weeks with a foot right. injury there. That 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 really hurts them. That's but a, That's a huge loss, right? Yep. And, Jeff, who, who just signed? Did you see uh, – uh, Kemba Walker just signed with the team. No, um, I didn't see that. Yeah, he signed yesterday with a uh, with a team in the NBA. Um, he was let go in preseason, and somebody just picked him up uh, a day ago. So you're going to see Kemba added to somebody's list. Uh, Toronto, they just have not been able to sustain what I thought they were going to do from the beginning of the season. Uh, they're an outstanding team when you. You've got an Ananobi and Siakam and then Van Vliet in the backcourt. Those are three pretty good guys to start out with. Uh, so I expect them to go on a little bit of a run where they put five or six in a row together. Washington is a good team. Washington is, is better than I thought they were going to be right now, right at the 500 mark. Porzingis uh, had, had a huge game this week. He and, was and, you know, you, Beal. Knew Brooklyn, you know, can Brooklyn resurrect itself? I mean, think about Brooklyn, what they started out with, then what they were without, then how yeah. bad they played, then who wanted to leave, now who wants to stay. Um, you know, Kyrie <laughs> is back, and well, that's that's some show with the new head coach taking over there. And um, 
Steve Nash being being let go. Miami has not had a full squad for I don't know how many games now. They've been shorthanded yeah. by two or three guys. You you see them win a game or two. If you look at the box score the next morning, sure enough, one or two of the guys that were out came back and played that night before. And Miami goes ahead and wins. So, you know, I thought New York was going to put a string together. They just can't. New York loses two, wins one. Wins or loses one, wins two. That's kind of like how they've been playing their season. Chicago, to me, has been a disappointment uh, this season, just trying to get their act back together again. And Orlando and Detroit are, are perpetual cellar dwellers in the Eastern Conference, it seems. But with a lot of young talent there, but they're they're not ready to compete, it doesn't look like. Mike, some of the teams we mentioned there, and I want to take it to this point. In Boston, you have Tatum and Brown. They've been tremendous. Two guys averaging 26-plus a game. Milwaukee, no Middleton yet. You have Giannis. Uh, Philadelphia, when they're all good to go, you and have – And don't, don't forget to mention Brooke Lopez in Milwaukee, who has really – And Drew Holiday. At yeah. his age and years in the league, has elevated his game another step. In, then you have – what Indiana has four guys with 17 points a game or more, and they're young guys, Mike. As a coach, did you like going up against a team where, okay, this is the guy. We have to shut this guy down. Or did you like going up against teams where there wasn't that one or two guys who you knew, okay, this team's in trouble if those guys have off nights, where there might be four or five guys and they played more of a complete team concept of ball. Did it did it phase you one way or the other? You like to defend one or the other better? You have to remember, Jeff, when I coached, I mean, you were trying to figure out how am I stopping a guy named Larry Bird? How am I stopping a guy named Michael Jordan? How am I stopping a guy Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Akeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, John Stockton? I mean, there were a lot of great players during those years that I was coaching teams. So you had to prepare most of the nights. Were you going to do something special to take a main guy out of it? Or are you going to rely on your solid team defense to minimize the amount of points that that star got and try to shut down the rest of the people around them? What'd you like better? Did, did you try to do one or the other more often than not? I don't think so. I think you, we built our our defensive philosophy, we thought it was very good what we did defensively. We made adjustments to our defense that I thought made us better. Uh, after my second year, we we wound up with that squad that was very small. I'll call it, you know, Tyrone Hill, Danny Ferry on the front line, and we knew we couldn't play straight up in the post. We were too, too small, too short. Uh, so we wound up trapping in the post. And we came every game, and they knew we were coming. And we double teamed and rotated and full rotated and boxed out as, as well as we could and did the best job that we could. So we we adjusted. Then then when I went to Memphis, we wound up fronting the post every time in the one season. Hmm. We never played behind a postman. We made them throw the ball over the top. and We came with the back guy on a rotation on that lob pass. But we got really good at that. So we changed our defense again. So getting ready for that special star, we might have done things like double them on the, on a wing, double them on the top from which side, uh, last shot of the quarter, if he had it in his hands, were you going to let him beat you? 
or you're going to run out of early. Let's let's say with six or five seconds on the 24 second clock, you're going to make him give it up before he gets into his move. Because so many times with the superstars, they're going to get a call from the official anyhow, the last shot of the quarter, if they take it to the basket. So if you make him give it up early, at least maybe you're not giving up that foul, you know, the foul shot along with the bucket. Mike, last thing. Milwaukee, Boston, top two teams in the Eastern Conference right now. And then that big, big group of 10 teams within about four and a half games of each other. Is there a team or two that you think, okay, this is a team that could emerge and be that third team, get into that top three in the Eastern Conference, team or two? I think it's a very good question. And without question, I think the Cavaliers can be one of those teams. Well, because when you look at who's bunched up there from the Cavs, Pacers, Hawks, Philadelphia, okay, if they get back whole again, Philly could be one of those teams that could take a major step. Brooklyn, without question, could be one of those teams that if they get all those guys to remain there and if they can get one or two guys back that got nicked up along the way, why couldn't Brooklyn certainly be a team that challenges those guys? They almost knocked. Uh, Milwaukee out, you know, the last time, if you right. think about it, right, um, on their way to a championship. So, yeah, Brooklyn, Philly, but the Cavaliers for sure have enough front line and backup guys that can contribute. You know, you think about Levert coming off the bench, with Kevin Love coming off the bench, and then Jetty coming off the bench. If those three guys can do what they're capable of doing, and then you plug in that next guy, whether it's a Stevens or an Okoro or whatever they do for the Dean team. Wade. Um, why not? I like it. It's going to be a very competitive Eastern Conference all season long. Uh, while, while we were doing the show, we double-checked. We couldn't find an, or, an organic laundry in Portland. So I hope your trip's not a real long one. <laughs> Did you look very hard, Jeff? <laughs> Uh, we did, actually. We we sent the whole staff out, Mike. We had everybody check it out. We couldn't find one. But if there's a place that has an organic laundry, you'd think it'd be Portland, right? But here's the big question. Next to the organic laundry, yeah. could you find an outstanding Italian restaurant in Portland? I, if there's an Italian restaurant to be found, you will find it, sir. And we have two that we <laughs> see on our list here in Portland when we come to go get our Italian food. I knew you had to. Well, have a great trip in Portland. Good luck with the laundry. You never need luck with the Italian food. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Appreciate it. It's Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps.